Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 7, 2, 5, and 10. As always, I am your host, KC, accompanied by my extremely handsome co-host in the uh, salmon-colored shirt, Benny Stewart. Give him a shout. Hey, hey. Good mood this week. Rangers are on a roll. Yeah, I saw the wild card, and uh, they were just outside of it, a point outside. You, you never know. I think times are turning. Five-game point streak. I mean, since we're already already talking about it, can we discuss that peon goal? Oh, that's the vintage Brian Leach spin in his own zone, leads it up to rush by himself and then finishes it. Yeah, that was pretty sweet goal. Uh, he's had flashes like that offensively before, but yeah, he's really starting to turn a corner along with uh, D'Angelo. Well, I'm hoping all the best for you guys. You know I love my boy Quinny anyway, so we're hoping that... Uh... Maybe the times are turning there. Maybe we're not going after a, a lottery pick anymore. Well, the funny thing is, after today, uh, yesterday's game in Columbus, one of the Rangers beat writers told Quinny that he reminds him of John Tortorella, but only to good qualities. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know if I was Quinny how I would take that. So apparently, he liked it, but I was like, uh, I wonder if they should pass that quote along to Torts. I don't even know. Tor- Torts, even in his older age, he'd probably still fire back something and be like, that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. <laughs> uh, speaking of people getting fired and things like that, probably the biggest news of the week, Coach Q officially fired from the Blackhawks. Thoughts, Benny? I mean, it, it seemed like a surprise to me. I know the team was struggling a little bit, but that was the last thing I expected to see coming across the uh, the radar this week. Yeah, probably the biggest news of the season so far. There was talk that Quinville might have been fired or could have been fired in the summer, but uh, ownership decided to bring him back uh, with his crew, Crawford, Kaner, Taves, all those guys. Uh, they started off well. Like you said, they slid a little bit. I think they were like 2-4-2 two, and two in the last eight. Um, and then there's been a power struggle between him and uh, Stan Bowman for a little while now. But Bowman couldn't never couldn't get rid of him. He won three cups in ten years, but with this little bit of a slide recently, missing the playoffs last year, uh, not really developing any young guys. Apparently, is one of the accusations leveled at Coach Q. Uh, they decided to make the move young in the season. He's not going to be out of a job long. No, I mean that that's one of the craziest parts. Like the second winningest coach of all time getting fired. You usually don't hear about that. I mean, do you think it's ironic? You think he was coming up on Scotty, and Scotty tells Stan, "Like, <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I, I need to keep this record forever. You got to get him out of there." I just think it's odd. Like, I know Bowman is one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach in league history. But hey, one he nothing Bruins, one nothing Bruins. <laughs> uh, score update. Um, he hasn't coached in God knows how what over a decade now. He's living retirement life in florida he's quote-unquote an advisor to the hawks i don't understand why he has that much sway over a major decision like that especially for a guy like you said second winning as coach all time three cups in 10 years and i after he, he was fired i have yet to see a current or former player say one bad word about him no i mean a lot of the guys came out in in his defense you know that was the last thing that they were expecting Another thing, too, like the power struggle like you talked about, part of this has to be on Bowman just because the Panarin trade, you know, the bringing Sod back, like at some point you have to admit you dropped the ball in whether it's player evaluation and or cap management. But when you have, he's going to be the biggest free agent this year if he doesn't get traded at the deadline, like in Panarin, who's going to have, what would you say? at least 10 a year coming up he's yeah, gonna get signed gonna for at least a elite crew yeah so i mean at some point i think you have to look in the mirror i don't think it doesn't matter who you have behind the bench if what, what was the bill parcells quote if you don't let him get the groceries then you know whatever it is some i don't know something like that but oh i if you don't let me buy the ingredients i can't cook the meal or something yeah something like that so i mean i, I know from past experiences there's always a 
difference in the sense of a coach may be high on a guy, coach could be low on a guy, management looks at it in a different sense, you know, this was a high draft pick, this was a lower draft pick, you know, some, some people need some seasoning, some people they cut the cord with, but um, no, that Chalmerson trade too, I'm sure burnt his balls yeah. when you have like one of your best defensemen and you get nothing in return, just out the door. Quimble always said that Jomerson was his most trusted defenseman, even ahead of Keith and Seabrook for like late game situations. And then they Bowman just dealt him out from under him, got pretty much nothing in return. He included one of their top prospects who was NHL ready in that Hosa trade to uh, Arizona. Like you said, the Saw trade, the Panarin trade. Bowman has, I know it's a salary cap, you can't keep everybody. And that's why the cap is in place to prevent dynasties. But Bowman has like like Scotty's in Detroit previously, like the dynasty Scotty had yeah. in Detroit, like nine Hall of Famers on his roster. Yeah, so it must have been uh, a tough coach in that. Yeah, but Bowman, I I would have fired Bowman much earlier than I would have fired Quenville. You can always find a young, smart guy who not only can manage the cap but can make those smart free agent decisions or talent decisions. You can't find a, a like Quinville anywhere, you know? No, I'm with you with that. I mean, if you just look at Arizona with Chica, just a big analytics guy, and he can kind of set up or go after certain players, and then you just have someone that's good with the money and you know how to keep the cap. I think you're good on that end. But And the guy that replaced Quinville, at least temporarily, I forget his name already. That's Colleton or something yeah, like that. Jer- Jeremy Colleton. It matters. He looks like he is borrowing his dad's suit to go on his first job interview. The guy looks like seventeen years old. Yeah, he's, I, th- I think he's the young actual some of the veterans on the team. Like, how? Why are they going to listen to him? I don't know. And I think the actual age was thirty-three. But it, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you though on the suit thing. It does look like he borrowed his dad's. The, the suit looks a little big on him. You know, you're, you're in the show now. You got to get that thing tailored the right way. And they were talking about what changes Colleton's going to have compared to how Quinville was running the team. It doesn't matter that really that, yes, the system with the Blackhawks is going to make some type of difference, but he played Kaner 24 minutes in a regulation, regular season game the other night. Then you have team president uh, John McDonough come out and say the reason why they wanted to start fresh was they wanted to have a new voice in the room when Corey Crawford came back. Like, Crawford's going to come back, be healthy, and solve all the issues on the front end. So it just seems a little bit of a disconnect. They have, they're losing the PR battle by Quinville just shutting up and letting everybody else speak for him. But the Blackhawks look really bad with this. Do you see uh, Coach Q landing anywhere this year? I mean, obviously someone would have to get fired for him to be hired, but... Some teams that are skidding a little bit, like maybe St. Louis with what's currently going on in there, nothing but better than a nice big fuck you and I'm signing in the division to hopefully beat you in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, right away, like I once I found out the news from you, I texted you back and said uh, I thought Florida would be a logical choice. They had Dave Talon there. They were supposed to be a serious playoff contender, kind of an under-the-radar dark horse team to make a run deep run into playoffs and they're struggling uh last i checked they still have single digits and points uh not looking too good right now so that's one place i could see him like at this point in his life he's in his mid-60s quinville why not pick up your bags go to sunny south florida coach a good young talented team with a gm that you already know that you can trust and make a run of it but besides there I know Housie's a god up in Buffalo, so I don't think, like you said, he would go anywhere. But where else do you think is a possibility? I don't know. It's one of those things where you hear rumblings of certain things. One thing I heard was Hackstall in Philadelphia, but the team's second in the division, so it's hard. But at the same time, too, nothing against Hackstall, but if you can get the second winningest coach of all time, I I don't know why you don't take that chance for it. Because, I mean, he's probably... This is what, his third year, Hackstall up there? 
third or fourth year. I know a lot of Flyer fans are kind of fed up with him at this point. No, I just think uh, it's probably a contract year anyway. So even if you fire him, you just got him on the books till the rest of the year. And it, it, some of these things, man, when they happen, it's legit money things and looking at a future or a certain push and who knows what to expect. There was talk, and I know this might sound crazy, but I forget. I think it was uh, in the New York Daily News. They were asking if the Rangers, if Quinville called the Rangers and said, I want to coach the team, do you fire Quinn 20 games into his first year to get the second winningest coach of all time? I don't know. Just because, I mean, the Rangers, when it comes to money, I think they're fine, especially with Quinn in the sense of it's not like they go against a salary cap with coaches. But he legit just gave up everything. Like, he had a dream <laughs> job at BU. Like, he didn't have to go anywhere. He he could have been set making almost a million bucks, taking a bus from here to Lowell, half-hour trips everywhere outside of Vermont and uh, Maine. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there's more... There's more to a team building than just numbers or resumes. Like that would, I feel like an organization pulling a move like that would really set them back in terms of future players and candidates being able to trust them and commit to the organization. But yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that already they're like, hey, Quinnable's available. How about the Rangers? I'm like, guys, come on, <laughs> 20 games in. <laughs> and, and I think another thing too is. Like you said, there's going to be a lot of roster churn around with you guys, and Quinny's kind of looking more towards next year in the sense of who would they have long term and things like that. So I don't think, yeah, gas and Quinny's the way to go because, like you said, Quinville, a lot older. Who knows as to how much time he has left or wants to have left. So, yeah, yeah I think a little bit of a double edged sword either way you look at it. Now, in terms of available coaches or guys already holding the position right now. What's your definition of a, a, an elite or premier head coach in NHL and who kind of falls under that category for you? For me, I think a big part of the NHL right now, when you look at certain coaches is you can't put them in that, like that premier echelon of coaching just because they haven't had enough years as a head coach. For, for example, if you looked at Quinney and you looked at Cassidy, I don't think they could be great coaches. I don't think they fall in any category yet just due to amount of time at the helm. Like um, for me, premier coaches, obviously Quenville, I know he's not in the league anymore, but uh, <laughs> Quenville, I mean, Babcock's an absolute lunatic, but I mean his cups and everything kind of cement themselves a certain way. Uh, I hate to say it, I'm probably going to get some heat for it, but I think Claude has to be up there well, too. Uh, well, just because like we got the cup here, we were always in the playoffs. We went to another cup final. I mean, no one saw Montreal even close to being anything this year, and they're currently third in the division. Um, I think his system works. His coaching style might be a little dated in the way he blows up young guys and video reviews and things like that. But at the same time, it seems to be working. Um, another guy I got and on he's here. French. And he's French. He, he, he speaks two languages. He's in. Um, another guy I got on here. I got Cooper on here just because, well, Hold on. L let me ask you a question then, because I have three guys that are all on like the cusp line for me. Okay. So I have Cooper, Laviolette, and Maurice. They've been around a while. They both have all. They all have good records. Do you think part of that is the team that's in front of them? Because I mean, Tampa, Nashville, and Winnipeg are wagons. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think it's more the players that they have available to them, or do you think it's coaching for those three? For Laviolette and Maurice, I think it's coaching, uh, just because Laviolette, pretty much wherever he goes, he's building or developing a winning uh, organization. Islanders, 
uh, the Flyers, now with Nashville. Wherever he goes, he's highly successful. He has a 627 career winning percentage, and that's with a stint with the Islanders, which should tell you all you need to know. Um, Maurice, it's another one. Like he, his Carolina years, like all right, sure. Like he was in the Todd McClellan, McClellan class for me. Like a good coach, uh, you can win with him, but he's not going to basically transform your on ice product with his system or his locker room management. But I think once he left Carolina and was hired with Winnipeg, that kind of gave him a little bit of a shift. And yeah, he has a lot of talent on his roster in Winnipeg, but this you can tell by watching the games, the system in place, the coaching that's there, the development of their prospects and two key contributors, I think reflects well on him. Cooper, I don't think he's been around long enough for me. Like in terms of that, he's always been on a good team. He's always had Sam Coase, Kucherov, Johnson, Hedman, all those guys. So I don't he could be a great coach, but right now I can't differentiate between if it's him or just all the talent that was assembled. I just love Cooper. Um, <laughs> another guy I have up here that would be borderline, I figured I'd ask you, Mike Sullivan. I mean, you can't ignore the back-to-back Stanley Cups. At the same time, I think he's another one of those guys that if you look at the roster that he had to win them, Sid, Malkin, Latang, I hate to say Phil Kessel, Hornquist, <laughs> Haglin, but I mean, he had a deep roster, and they they won back to back. I I think you can't just skip over that part of it. Yeah, I think he's a good coach. I think his biggest quality was when he took over Pittsburgh. He gave them a new direction and voice, and kind of refocused the talent on that roster that was struggling before he took over into back to back Stanley Cup champs. So I wouldn't say he's elite. I think he's a difference maker. Uh, He's a good coach, but Kind of just fall, even with the two cups, I, I can't put him in that rarefied air of like top five or seven coaches in the league for myself. All right, and then one last one I got on my list here Barry Trotz. Um, did it for a long time in Nashville before they had the people on the roster, like way before that. Then he went to Washington and he finally brought a cup home. And now what he's doing with the Islanders, where none of us thought they would even be hot dog shit are just yeah. completely killing it. I mean, that whether that's lineup or coaching, I think it has to be recognized either way. Yeah, I had him on my list of elite coaches in the league. I had uh, Boudreaux. I had um, LaViolette was there for me because he's been doing it for so long. Barry Trotz was there for me. Uh, I had Peter DeBoer as an elite coach in the league. I don't know what your feelings on that is. He was on like the line for me, but I didn't have him ranked that high. A big thing for me was that Jersey team that he took to the cup final. I mean, th- those were just like ham and eggers, like lunchbox guys. They were just grinding it out, and it worked. Um, the unfortunate part is, you know, he ends up getting gassed. He gets a great gig out in San Jose kind of a lot different of a team that they're more an entry-based team a lot of speed from what he used to have with new jersey i think it was a big turnaround but at the same time it's still since he's been in san jose they haven't done anything i think the most is what a second round that's it uh they went to the cup and lost to pittsburgh a couple of years back the first time oh, yeah. pittsburgh won the first of their back-to-backs See that's it's been a long weekend already, and I can't even remember three years ago. So, well, yeah, that's the thing. Like for me, the thing that pushed him over the edge was not only his Jersey, New Jersey years, but when he came out to San Jose, he just it could be scouting uh, that helps, obviously. But that team consistently churns out guys who are either undrafted or late round draft picks that come in. They contribute, may not be superstars, but they fit the mold of what the team needs and fits in his style. And then once they leave San Jose, they're really not the same player. Look like guys like uh, Desi, uh, Andrew Desjardins, Tommy Wingles, uh, guys like that who leave the organization after having a little bit of a successful run and then kind of plateau or start falling off a little bit once they leave DeBoer's uh, coaching system. Other than that, I had obviously Babcock. I did not have John Cooper. 
And the last two I had were Paul Maurice and Gerard Gallant. Yeah, Gallant was another one of those guys for me, too, that um, huge players coach. They say the guys love him. He's phenomenal. I mean, if you just look at the turnaround he has with some of the guys, I mean, Riley Smith could go play for any other coach in the league and do nothing. Anytime <laughs> he, he plays anytime he plays for Gallant, he, he's like an 80-point-a-year guy. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that definitely speaks huge leaps and bounds, especially if if you're one of those guys who's kind of on the edge of a roster somewhere else. If you go to him and a guy believes in you, you can definitely play for him. Um, yeah, if Vegas would have had their run last year if Gallant wasn't the coach. No, I don't think so. I think the lineup that they had was good for a, for a draft that they had, but I'm with you in the sense that if Gallant wasn't the coach there, I don't think somebody else would have brought him that far. My question for you with this topic is, out of the relatively new head coaches in the league, whether it's their first year or their second year, if 10 years from now we look back and we say this coach turned out to be the most successful out of the group of like Travis Green, uh, David Quinn, Rangers, John Hines, New Jersey, uh, I know what, I'll toss Jim Montgomery with Dallas in there, and let's do uh, Jared Benar in Colorado. Who do you think 10 years from now we look back like they are on a cusp or in that elite coaching category? See, that's so hard because of a couple of things. Like, Travis Green grinded it out in the minors, like the AHL, to finally get the chance at that head coaching job. And every team that he had in Utica, they were legitimate. They went to the playoffs every year. Like, whatever he had was working. Quinny at BU, phenomenal, great guy, great program. Uh, Same thing about Montgomery, too. I think those were the three that I would pick out of all of them. I think uh, Green, Montgomery, and Quinny are probably the head of that class. Uh, I hear nothing but great things about John Hines. I don't want to take anything away from him. But I just think those other three guys were that much higher on my own personal list as opposed to where he was. Uh, the correct answer was David Quinn will win multiple Stanley Cups with the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Crap! I didn't. That wasn't on the sheet. I, I, I read it wrong. Well, well, speaking of that debacle that I just had, um, do you want to talk about the senators and the Uber? Yeah, just because, like, it's enlightening to see kind of, I guess, behind a curtain of these guys in Ottawa and that situation that they find themselves in that we've discussed pretty extensively uh, in a few previous episodes. What their thoughts are. The thing that bothers me is this is happening every night around the league. Like the Bruins players are probably doing this, especially when they're on a road trip and they, they're Ubering, which I'm assuming means they just got done having like a good time at a bar or something. So if they're feeling a little loose, I just find it dirty that the Uber driver released it or sent it to the press for them to play uh, on these guys. But I just found, I actually laughed at their reaction about the PK up in Ottawa. No, I mean, obviously, I guess now anytime you're in public and you're a public figure, you have to worry about the other hand for something like that where an Uber driver records your whole conversation. But, um, yeah, I- I'm with you. They did not seem enthused at all. I thought the worst part was probably them completely blowing up the assistant coach there, Raymond, about how there's no direction he just pulls up film and he's a play-by-play guy just says exactly what's happening like to me that that was like the funniest part listening to it yeah like he doesn't teach us anything where there should be a teaching point he just says this is what we're doing and we're like yeah no shit we're watching the same thing you are but um, wasn't it chris i think it was chris wyman that was like i stopped paying attention three weeks ago and then in the last meeting he was saying the same thing as i didn't miss anything i thought that was great uh (laughs) One thing that worries me, and granted he didn't talk too much during the whole thing, but at the same point, I think you're only as good as the company you keep. So for someone like Thomas Shabbat, who is currently, you know, he's up there in points leader for the whole league, not just 
rookies. So for someone like him to be in there, like I said, he didn't really say too much, but he was in there for part of it. He's going to sign a big ticket as next deal. Yeah. Do you think whether he stays in Ottawa or goes somewhere else, do you think that's one of those, you know, one of those white flags that goes up a little caution for other people in the sense of you're only good as the company you keep. You were there. It's not like you weren't, but at the same time, it's like you're a rookie in the league kid. Like, you can't be going around saying things like that. Yeah, I think the him being with those guys, like I don't blame him for hanging out with uh like guys like Duchesne and stuff. But him being that vocal as a rookie, hanging out with the veterans was surprising to me. I don't think he'll have a long term impact on his standing around a league or his next or his first big contract. As long as you reduce on the ice, you're going to get chances. And if you help a team win, you're going to be fine. Um, there have been plenty of assholes in locker rooms throughout the history of the league that have helped teams win championships. Um, I think he'll be fine. I just was not shocked at all that sitting in the front passenger seat, kind of directing the conversation, was Duchesne. Like, this guy got traded from Colorado, who was in last place, to Ottawa, who just went to the conference final. And then within three months, they're tearing everything down. Carlson just got dealt. Colorado made a surprise run to the playoffs. He does not, like, I don't know anybody that wants to be in Ottawa to begin with, but definitely not Matthew Shane. Do you think that affects him, though, too? I mean, we can both agree that he's probably going to get traded. We, we said that in episode one, that he's probably gone anyways. Yeah. But on the other end of it, yet again, the white flag for other teams coming in, like, this fucking guy doesn't want to be here. If we bring him in and we sign him, how do we know he wants to be here and not have a whole nother one of these things happening again? Yeah, I will say when it comes to Duchesne, he's kind of had... I'm not trying to tarnish the guy too much because there hasn't been anything concrete outside of like this video that should have never seen a lot of day. But there have been rumblings from guys, even in Colorado, that he's a little bit moody. Or he can show a lot of disinterest if things aren't going his way, whether his individual play, the way he's being used, or whatever. And this kind of adds to that. So I think his perception, because he's been in the league, he's still young, like incredibly young. But he's been in the league for a while now, and he's had this reputation kind of following him to multiple organizations. So if I was a GM, yeah, he's talented. I would bring him in if I was bringing him into a veteran locker room. If I was bringing him in to be a leader or the face of the franchise uh, in some of these markets, then I would avoid at all costs. But if I was bringing him to like Boston with Bergey and Krejci and those guys, uh, hell, even like LA or Chicago or Anaheim, sure, bring him in. San Jose is good too. But if you're asking him to be a leader and send an example, you're setting yourself up for failure, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. I don't, I don't think he needs to be the face of a franchise or a voice in the locker room. I just think he needs to be in a place that has some management in two nothing Boston. Just throwing that out there. Um, transitioning to Boston since they just scored. Bruins and Blackhawks winter jerseys released for the classic. What do you think? I like the Bruins one just because I I always enjoy the hockey unis with the basically like the sleeve look. So like how uh, there isn't a cutoff or it isn't just like one stripe on the elbow like most hockey uniforms have nowadays. I like the brown, the off-brown on the uni. It kind of looks like the Minnesota Golden Gophers jersey, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I, I, I think these Winter Classic ones, I think they're delicious. Um, the first Some ones that they... on our Facebook page. Yes, yes. Uh, the first ones that came out that we had for the first Winter Classic at Fenway, I was not a fan of them. Oh, uh, see, I love those. Oh, see, like, I, I did not like those. I, I would have rather it was the ones they just released for the first one. Um, and then the one that we did at Gillette, I like those ones, too. So I, I think the Bruins have been two for three with theirs. Uh, going to the Blackhawks side of things, I mean... They're going to run out of fucking designs here. This is like their 27th Winter Classic. And this, they just have their jersey and they blacked it out and they went white. I I wasn't really a big fan. Yeah, I don't know what they were quite going for. Usually in the Winter Classics, they go for a heritage look or a retro look. 
I know they've played in a bunch of games already, which is, you know, shitty of the NHL. they got to stop marketing some of these other teams. But you can't have the same color scheme as dead on. Like, if, you, if you're a casual hockey fan and you're hungover on New Year's Day and you're scrolling through the channels and you see the Winter Classic on, you're going to see, you're going to know it's the Bruins or the Predators right away just because, like, the yellow, like, it's distinguishable. If I'm going through, I think it's the Kings on the other side. Like, that looks very similar to a Kings unit if I was just passing through. I think the Kings would actually be, yeah, just all black. It, It looks very similar. I mean, the only thing that would probably distinguish, like, the older hockey fan compared to us would be They'd probably remember the purple in the old Kings unis, the the black and purple. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the crest. I mean, I love the red Blackhawks jersey. Like, I think those are phenomenal. Probably the best jerseys in all the sports. Like the Blackhawk, the colors and in, in the back, and then this is just completely blacked out with white. It's just I don't know, kind of bland, kind of blah. Yeah, the Hawks uni looks like a rec team. Got one of those stock uniforms off the uh, rack at like Hockey Monkey or something, and then they just heat stitched their own logo into the middle. And there could be like twenty other teams out there with the same jersey, just a different logo on it. Awful, but l- yeah. like you said, with them being in so many Winter Classics, it's hard to tweak it more for them now. It it is what it but is. This is your third. The Penguins are always in there. Like the Sabers are up there. I think they've been in two. Got to get get Columbus in there, man. Get teams like that going. No, I'm with you, dude. I, I think you definitely need more teams in it just for parity. And I think it would be cool to see in some of the newer designs of certain people. I think would be awesome. But um, yeah, I mean, Columbus, Nashville. Like I understand the weather's a little bit different as opposed to up here where it's a little bit easier. But um. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. you got to make it more broad. But the other thing, too, is ratings, and, you know, certain places aren't going to get them. So if you want to be the premier thing on New Year's Day, you got to have big markets in there. I would just throw Calgary and Edmonton in there, bring out all their old-time greats before the game, have, like, some ceremony, and then have the Oilers and Flames play or have have go back to the old, old rivalry of the Jets and the north stars so like the wild in this case play like if you're, if you're not concerned about ratings of a casual fan most casual fans or like random people aren't going to stop once they see a hockey game like that's the case in america right now i rather just put out a good product i second that <laughs> uh speaking of the bruins two u's two k's what's going on with tuca up there he's on personal leave after giving up what eight against vancouver uh, I haven't heard an update on why he left for personal reasons or when he's expected back, but do you think it's related to his play? Do you think it's a, a mental thing for him? Uh, like, what are the Bruins going to do in the meantime? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it was. It kind of came the day after that Vancouver game, like you said. Um, Halak actually got the start in that one, didn't look good. I I don't know if he let up four or five, and then they put Tuca in there, and he let up four, three or four. But, yeah, it was not a good night in general. I mean, granted, we scored five goals, which on usually any night in the NHL will get you a win. Not that night. But um, as for him, in the post-game interview, someone asked him, uh, what'd you do out there? How was it? And he said, I was just trying to keep it under 10. <laughs> like, and whether he was trying to be funny or be serious to me, what could have been, like, the fine line. But, um... No, the the last two years have not been very good for Tuca. As for whether it's actual personal or, like you said, mental, I'm not too sure. They did not say during their press release, Don Sweeney, he said it's not like a physical ailment. He said he's not hurt. He's just taking, you know, this leave. So with it, I mean, does he have like a sick parent? Maybe his mind's in another place like that that's stuff that we don't know but at the same time for it to kind of come after he was already in the hot seat and everything else maybe they just like 
they charter a plane for him and they send him to Aruba for a couple of days with the wife. Like, get out of here. Yeah, like, you're not focused. Get away for a couple of days, recharge the battery, and come back and be good. Um, As for update, there hasn't really been one. Uh, Halak at the start last night has the start currently. Uh, They called up Vladar. But um, the latest update I heard, possibly he'll be back for the game Tuesday. No other update. It's been relatively quiet, and I don't know if that's people respecting his privacy or the Bruins are just that tight-lipped about this where he's already as fragile as it is, and they don't want it to be worse. Well, speaking of fragile egos associated with the Boston Bruins, what is going on with your fucking silverback gorilla and Lucic just absolutely attacking... uh, I forget his name, but uh, just attacking a guy for which seemingly wasn't even a major incident for Lucic to just skate around following him and then just throwing down and uh, jumping on him on the ice. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I, I didn't think it was that bad of a hit. There wasn't even a penalty called on the play. I think it was more awkward than anything. Um, And the other thing, too, this kid is a first-year well, it was either first or second year NHL. He's relatively young, and he's not very big. The kid's like six foot one eighty. Lucic is like six four two forty, and for him to go around and actually chase this guy down, like there's no reason why a heavyweight should be going after a little guy. Like I understand you're on Edmonton, and it's a lot more of a skill with McDavid and the other guys, but at the same, t- you're chasing this guy down, and you look like a fucking buffoon out there. Um, personally, I think the league drops the ball on this. I'm all for old time hockey for guys chucking knocks, but when you chase a guy down, you completely blindside him, and then you're on top of him, and then you're punching him in the head, and then on top of it, you basically sat down on the guy and you weren't moving. Like the lineies couldn't even pull you off of him. I just think it's kind of an embarrassment. Like. You have to respect at the same time he wants to stick up for a teammate. But at what point do you draw the line and say, hey, I'll kill this guy legitimately? Like, I think he he would have killed him. So it's like, I just don't know. And this isn't the first time Luch has done something like this. Like, I get he plays the game on the edge, and he always backs it up for the most part, except for that time he wanted nothing to do with Colton Orr back in the day. But he always backs it up. So I always respect him for that. He's a leader in the locker room. I just, this isn't the first time he's basically attacked somebody on the ice. And when I was watching the video of him following him around on the ice and then basically sucker punching him, all I could think of was Steve Moore and Topper Tuesday. Yeah, and I mean, that's been a black eye, the black eye on the NHL since forever. And for him to go to that point, yeah, I was kind of with you because Bertuzzi, when he got um, when he got him, I mean, it was just a punch and right on top of him, and they went at it. This was basically the same thing, except he didn't punch him first. He checked him, and then he jumped on top of him. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time, too, only a $10,000 fine is a joke. And, yeah, he should have suspended. Oh, yeah, because he makes $6 million a year. Ten grand is nothing. He wipes his ass with ten grand. <laughs> I just, we've talked about the Matheson and the Borvieski, the first accidental elbow, like certain things that we thought were like partial hockey plays, this, that, and the other. This is way worse than those. It's basically just an assault. Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not even making a hockey play. I don't care where the puck is. I don't care what's going on around me. I'm going to attack this guy. And that should, not, that should have been the most severe of the suspensions out of what Luch did, Matheson did, and Borieski did, in my opinion. He should have gotten at least at like a five-game suspension and like a pretty hefty fine. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing with it, too, is for the Department of Player Safety, who I guess they've been reaching out to a lot of teams, doing a lot of in-persons as to what's a legal hit, what's not a legal hit, what will you get suspended for, this, that, the other thing, and then to not do anything here, I think it kind of, it, it smears it a little bit because it going future. If I'm a guy who gets called up there for a blindside hit, I'm like, 
what the fuck? Lucic can jump somebody completely on the ice. I, I tried pulling up to hit somebody. I accidentally get him in the head, and you're giving me five. Like, really? The other thing is, and I believe I've mentioned this before, this trend over the last, I don't know, five to seven seasons of whenever there's a good, clean, legal hit in the middle of the ice or away from the boards that rocks somebody, it always leads to somebody jumping the guy that did a hit. Why? It's a clean hit. Yeah, your teammate got rocked. Okay, deal with it. And that's, I feel like, while the instigator is there, and the referees never call the instigator on a guy who sticks up, quote-unquote, for his teammate. It's a clean hit. If it's a dirty hit, go ahead, all in. Line brawl, whatever the hell you want to do. But I don't know if it's because we grew up playing differently from like a different time or whatever, or the teams we grew up watching. But I can't stand when somebody gets hit clean at the blue line, there's a massive brawl right after because how dare you hit my teammate in the National Hockey League. Yeah, it's funny, too, like when you hear the older guys talk about it because they would say they'd get blown up at the blue line, they'd get to the bench, <laughs> and the guys would just be like, keep your head up. Yeah. Like now it's it's completely different, but, yeah, I'm with you, man. If it's dirty, it's dirty, but if it's not, keep on playing. Speaking of uh, stereotypical soft hockey, European expansion was talked about earlier this week by Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Uh, he interestingly enough, worded it as not if, but when they expand into multiple cities in Europe for NHL franchises. Uh, No official word on which cities that would be. We have a pretty good guess. Um, What are your thoughts on, first, should the NHL expand at all? Should they be expanding into Europe? And if you were a player in the league, would you want to make these road trips from L.A. to Stockholm? No, no, and no. Um, <laughs> these guys hate going over there. Like, I don't think they mind the preseason stuff or the start of the year game out there. But can you imagine, like, even from Boston, I think we're the closest to over there. That's like a six, seven-hour flight for us. Never mind if you're coming from L.A., you know, Arizona, Vancouver. Like, these would be long road trips, man, and maybe they're throwing it out there in the sense of like a big fuck you to the KHL and just be like, we're just going to completely push you out of the way. But I just don't think it'll work. I mean, if you want to have an NHL Euro league and have the best guys over there, like have at it. And then, you know, maybe you do like a game or two throughout the year where you send a couple of teams over there to play some of those guys. But as for a full team there, I don't think it'll work. I think it's kind of like how, the NFL in London thing is where the NFL keeps preaching there's eventually going to be a team in London, but I don't think teams are going to want to travel there. And the London guys, I mean, going across the time zones that frequently and everything else, I just think it kind of messes with guys, their psyche. That's a whole lot of travel thrown on there. Like you would legitimately need a U.S. practice facility here plus the one where you are too so yeah i I just think logistically it doesn't work yeah for me i already feel like the nhl at 32 teams is teetering on talent dilution on the bottom pair for defense and the bottom lines up front if you're expanding into europe let's say they add four teams in europe so like probably helsinki stockholm prague and what moscow so now that's 80 more roster spots of guys who normally wouldn't have been able to make it into the NHL. So I'm sure the Players Association would love it. But how good of quality are these rosters going to be? How good a game is going to be? Second, you have to worry about, like you said, is it a fuck you to the KHL? What about the other European leagues in Finland and Sweden, uh, the IIHF? Like, the hurdles to go through to allow the NHL to kind of come into their backyards and steal away funding or resources or revenue and basically put these teams out of business. And never mind that. Can you imagine being, if you were going to be the number one overall pick, let's say like the whole Lindros situation, and you know that the top two teams are in Europe, I wouldn't come. I wouldn't. I would hold out. I wouldn't sign. Like I, especially if I'm a 17, 18 year old 
generational talent coming out from Canada or from the U.S., why would I want to spend the next six years in fucking Helsinki? No offense to Finland, but it's a professional hockey player. I don't want to have to deal with all the logistics. Yeah, another thing, too, is I don't know how I would feel being out there, like you said, because, I mean, do you get paid a higher uh, rookie-level deal now that you're over there? I mean, you, you don't get paid more if you go to Winnipeg or Calgary, so I don't know yeah. if you get paid more going over there instead. Kind of incentivize them to actually go, hey, do you want to go to Winnipeg and make 600k, or do you want to go to Finland and make 950k? Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, too, is when they talk about going over there is the uh, people go to the KHL for the tax-free money. So would all Europe be tax-free? Because some of the Euros would probably want to stay at home then. Yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking of in terms of, like, the European players, they might get drafted. Like, take Panarin, for example. His current options are work out a deal with a team in the U.S. or Canada, make really good money, uh, or leave, like pull a Kovalchuk and go to the KHL, make less money, be a rock star, and play at home. In this scenario, you can get drafted by the Blue Jackets, let's say, play out your entry level, do your bridge deal, and then just immediately go, well, I'm still going to be in NHL, I'm still going to make bank, and I'm going to go home to Russia. Definitely an interesting way to look at it, that's for sure. Speaking of European players, we got the Hall of Fame class uh, getting inducted this year. Uh, my, my all-time favorite goalie, Martin Brodor, got in. Shout out to Sean Avery. Um, Marty St. Louis had tip for that goal against Montreal. Uh, made it in as well. You don't need to discuss the current class. I'm actually kind of curious about which players who have been up for eligibility but haven't made it in yet, you think should be in? And which guys do you think in the upcoming classes are first ballot Hall of Famers? I, I just got to talk about one person in this current class, though. <laughs> it is an absolute shame that Willie O'Ree finally got inducted into the Hall, the Hockey Hall of Fame. And it took this long. It took this long. like, And then on top of it, it's A, he broke a color barrier, like the Jackie Robinson of hockey. But B, it's all the other work he's done for the communities in building the game and trying to make the game more diverse and legit. I don't want to sound like bad in the sense, but like he's getting up there in age. And if this was just a sympathy add on into the Hockey Hall of Fame, like fucking shame on you, NHL. This guy should have been in there years ago for everything he does for this league. Um, Yeah. There's an award named after him too, right? Yeah. So for me, it's just kind of crazy that something like that would be, let's just wait till the guy's in his mid-80s and something like that. Like, crazy to me. Uh, Going into who I would like to see there in the future, I find it crazy that Jeremy Roenick isn't in the Hockey Hall of Fame yet. Just the personality numbers um one of the people they said was up for a first time ballot was Vinny LeCavalier and one of the things I looked up was Ronick compared to LeCavalier Ronick's been eligible since 2012 he had 1216 points in 1363 NHL games so he was like 0.89 0.89 a game points per game. LeCavalier only 0.78. Ronick never won a cup. LeCavalier did. And I look at some of these other people and it makes me wonder as to if people are getting put in there because of cups that they won. Uh, another person, uh, Rob Brindamore, he won a Stanley Cup. He averaged 0.79 points a game. So just better than LeCavalier at 0.78. And he's been eligible since 2013, still has not got the call to the hall. One other one I had was Alexander Moginley. Mm. Moginley, Moginley, however you want to call it. 
He played 990 games. Uh, school. I just dropped the ball. Uh, fuck. I was reading and then I got my hands off thing. I was comparing him to Paul Correa. Paul Correa is already in the hall. Uh, McGinley has 71 more goals and 43 more points than Correa. McGinley won the cup with the Devils in 2000. Korea never won the cup. Mm-hmm. So it was like, just a little interesting, that's all. See, the thing for me is, as with most things concerning the NBA, I know the NBA Hall of Fame is an absolute joke, but the Hockey Hall of Fame, the bar is set pretty low. I, th- I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said, if you win a cup and you're a borderline guy, you're going to get in because, like, oh, well, he won a cup. There are a few guys that shouldn't be in the hall. And once you lower the bar with them, then that means you have to lower the bar for similar guys after they're on the ballot for like 10 years. Like, well, Korea got in, so why not this guy? This guy got in, so why not that guy? And it just kind of dilutes the hall. I think Baseball Hall of Fame is the best at it. My criteria has always been, are you, were you the face of the league or one of the top players in the league for an extended period of time or did you help transform the game in some way whether that's breaking the color barrier or being one of the first uh russian hockey players to come over to the nhl or did you change the style of play that's None definitely that an interesting way to look at Stanley it Cup, no no so i agree mogilny should be in he was one of the first superstar russian players to come over from the soviet union uh, I came over in 89, I believe. Um, I know his one knock was always he didn't play enough games. His longevity he was injury prone. But again, like you said, I think he played one more game or one less game than Paul Korea in Korea's and Nobody questioned that. I think So I absolutely think Mogilny's in, not only based on his talent, but being one of the transformative figures from the Soviet team coming over and playing in NHL. Another guy that I think should be in, Sergey Zuboff. Ah, I like that. He has the numbers. He may not be like the face of the league or like one of the top more, more popular players, but from the time he came up with the Rangers in the early nineties till he retired, he was one of the most gifted offensive defensemen in the league year in and year out. He was up there for Norris trophies and everything. He was just a quiet dude, didn't really wasn't really that splashy, but was one of the most effective defensemen of the last, I don't know, two decades. I don't know why he's not in. He's been on the ballot for a while now. Um, you mentioned Ronick. I think also his personality probably rubs people the wrong way, which is why he's out. Uh, there are a couple other names that I saw that as returning on a ballot. Theo Fleury. Nope. Okay. Curtis Joseph. Uh, borderline. Okay. Chris Osgood? I'd say Joseph before Osgood. Okay. And, and that's off playing, not because of cops. That's off of strictly talent and playing. And if you look at it the other end, too, you can say maybe Osgood's numbers were better than Joseph. But then you say, well, look at the team Osgood played you know, behind. So it's like, I don't know which way you wiggle it. And the other one is Daniel Alfredson for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, Alfie's in. See, I disagree on that one. I know he was like a great player, but I never thought of him as like feared. Like you need the if you were naming the top five or ten forwards in the league or wingers, it would take a little bit of a while for me to get to Alfie. Well, yeah, but that was because he won the Lady Bing every year. There was no fear. <laughs> you know. Oh, this is uh, we'll get into the upcoming classes and who we think we're first ballot hall of famers but someone who is on the borderline for me i don't know if he's in for you automatically or similar marion hosa when he retires first ballot yes and it's a shame too because if he played these last two three years who knows how many more points he could have gotten how further he could have elevated his game because even with age he wasn't really slowing down too much yeah just to piggyback off of that, upcoming classes, you mentioned Vinny LeCavalier. He's eligible the same time his boys in Tampa are. So St. Louis was first 
and he's in. Uh, next year, it's Vinny, and then it's Spread Richards and Dan Boyle on a ballot with him as well. And then Anderchuk was the year before St. Louis, too. So <laughs> it could be a, a, the hat trick back. could be three of them in a row. I don't think any any of those three are Hall of Fame eligible for me. Like, not eligible, but worthy. And I really liked Vinny, too. I, I thought Vinny was a great player, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he was in the Hall for me personally. All right. Well, for the upcoming class, for 2020, for sure, Jerome McGinley. Oh, Iggy, no question. He's in. And then the class of 2021 is kind of stacked. I know there are going to be guys that get elected that have been on a ballot or guys that we aren't mentioning, but class of 2021, Henrik Zetterberg, the Sedin brothers, and if he actually stops fucking playing anytime soon, Yarmir Yager. Yeah, all, all four. I don't think anybody else gets in that year. It'll just be those four. Yeah, because the max is four, for those that don't know, four players each Hall of Fame class. Um, I Yager is technically signed to a Czech team. He just hasn't played because he's been hurt. And if he just decides to just not play this year and retire, he'll be eligible in 2021. But if he plays one game, it resets the whole three-year clock. And then we have to wait even more. But I, like... Yeah, just come on, man. Like, you're good. You're done. <laughs> you're like 47 right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can still go anywhere and get all the tail that he gets. So I don't think he needs to uh, keep going by any means, you know. And the other thing to keep in mind is it's not like we both of us don't like to focus on Stanley Cups as a barometer for making it in. It is not the NHL Hall of Fame. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame, which is why some of these guys like Zetterberg and Mogilny and stuff uh, we've factored in the international play as well for tournaments, Olympics, and things like that. Well, well since we're getting away from uh, the NHL, because we were talking about the Hockey Hall of Fame, do you want to talk about the NHL this week in our game of the week, in our lock of the week? Uh, I wouldn't listen to any of my locks because I'm <laughs> over fucking two. But um, if you yep. have any locks, I'll be more than willing to listen. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, I'm going to start with my game of the week actually and it's this coming thursday night rangers islanders i don't know if it's going to be a barclays nassau the fucking moon i don't know what the islanders are playing nowadays but first meeting of the season regular season between these two uh rangers have been picking up to play like we touched on at the beginning of the year uh beginning of the episode the islanders last week were pumping up uh their tires a little bit because they were in first place out of Pittsburgh after winning a home-and-home. Home. They've lost three in a row now, so it'll be interesting to see kind of like a quick barometer for both teams. And, of course, it's a natural rivalry, uh, New York versus New York. My lock of the week is going to be, you know, it's easy to go like elite franchises over the week teams in the league right now, but I'm going to go Calgary over Edmonton in Calgary. And that game is taking place on Saturday. So game of the week, lock of the week. I'm also over two. I don't know how that happened. Vegas lost to Montreal. But uh, what are your picks this week? I got two for uh, game of the week. I have, since we were talking about coaches and everything earlier, Monday night, so tomorrow night, there is Chicago at Carolina. So two brand-new coaches, Rod the Bod and the new guy in Chicago, Colleton. And then Wednesday night, I have Washington at Winnipeg. I think that could possibly be a matchup in June. You don't know how things could shake up. As for lock of the week, yet again, don't listen to me. Thursday night as well, I'm going with your boys, the Rangers, upsetting the Islanders. There it is. I like it. We should put a little wager to lock of the week picks. Whoever has the worst record at the end of the regular season has to do something or get something for the other guy. That's fine. I mean, you just tell me what you want now so I can start, uh, <laughs> start saving I, up. We're both owing too, man, but you know, nothing's off the table when it comes to the wager. We'll think of something. I know back in the day in college, we would take the bus, the Chinatown bus down from Boston to MSG <laughs> to see the Rangers and Bruins. 
have great times with Nigel Dawes, but uh, Kevin ended up lo- the Bruins end- Bruins ended up losing. So Kevin the next day in our shared what was it? it was one of those mathematics classes we had with uh, Professor Hatem. Shout out Hatem. Uh, he had to wear a basically a Dr. Seuss cat in a hat Rangers hat for the entire day, uh, which was a lot of fun on my end, and nobody knew what the fuck was going on. Yeah, everyone was looking at me like this fucking loser. Like, and, and then on top of it, the thing was so tall, I don't think people behind me could see anything. And of course, I think I was like in the second row too, so I had a whole row of people behind me. Like, what the fuck? And then Hayden walked in. Now, a professor, Professor Hayden went to Tulane University, I believe, so he knows how to party. He walks in. He's a pretty. He's a great guy. Puts his bag down, looks over at me and Kevin, sees Kevin in a hat and my shit-eating grin and goes, Kev, lost the bet, huh? <laughs> yeah, knew instantly. Knew instantly. Yeah, <laughs> Co- Hayden was the man. So- he looked just like Chuck Kobasu. I used to call him Kobe. Oh, yeah, that's true. I remember- yeah, <laughs> Kobe. <laughs> but uh, that was also a class where we held our inaugural uh, draft. I'm here, yeah. so I don't get fined. Um <laughs> But uh, just to wrap up for uh, today, at least the organized part, today in NHL history for November 11th, uh, we have way back from when I was born, 1930, the NHL uh, actually played in Philadelphia that year. It was the Philadelphia Quakers. They lost 3-0 to the Rangers on November 11th, and they would go 4-36-4 and, and then left the NHL after one year. And the next time the NHL returned to Philly was with the Flyers in 1967. Uh, also in 1986, one of my favorite players on NHL 94, Dino Cicerelli oh, of the Minnesota North Scars, scores twice in his 15th game of the year, which is still the modern-day record for fastest to 20 goals from a season start. And lastly, 1989, Guy Lafleur scores his 544th goal, tying Maurice Richard for eighth place all time can we just discuss last week we had our bye 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 intro and i gotta be honest like if you're in public and that song comes on and you don't sing it or attempt to do the dance to it like you're a fucking loser (laughs) like cam all week has now just been like screaming I can't even say it because I'm next to her, but he'll walk up and he'll be like, Alexa, can you play Bye Bye Bye? And sure enough, like, boom, it's on. So, like, I had to cover the mic and everything because she's in the corner looking at me and it would have it came on. NSA is taping all of our podcasts themselves. Well, good. They can start uploading them then, too. <laughs> I mean, back in the day when Bye 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 first came out and all the injuries, I always I rocked with them, man, but you couldn't admit that in public when we were younger. It was like, oh, screw and sink, all that stuff. But now that we're older and we don't care, it's just like, yeah, bye, 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 man. It's like, let's get it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Who do you got for uh, shout-outs this week? Uh, shout-outs this week. I'm going to shock the entire audience here and give a shout-out to the First Lady. Uh, she is currently on a photo walk around the Golden Gate Bridge, so hopefully she gets in good picks, even with, unfortunately, the uh, smoke and everything coming down from the massive wildfire in Northern California, so thoughts go out to those uh, people affected by the fires. Um, other shout-out I will give to... Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Redder here, because without her, we wouldn't have had the audio effects of Sidney Crosby in the background for today's episode. <laughs> well played. Yeah, big shout out to Big Red, per usual. Uh, my boy Joey, he, we had his uh, surprise 30th last night, so I, I got to go hang out with the big boys. I was out a little late last night. And then a uh, big shout out to Kyle and Ricky, even though they told me today they do not listen to the podcast. They were very blunt about that, so... You know, you'll never hear this shout out, even though I'm giving it to you. So I just I can just hold one thing above them. Like, well, you know, I shut you out of my show. So that's fine. Don't don't worry. Uh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> well, we got to change it. Why don't they watch? We got to we got to really drill down here and find out why they aren't listening, because if your their love for you isn't enough and their love for hockey is enough, 
I question their mental stability. And it it might just be that. I know Ricky uh she tries like hell, but she she's not a hockey girl, so God bless her. I can't <laughs> I can't hold anything against her on that. But Kyle, yeah, no, he's out out. But all right, everybody. Well uh another week in the books and Maybe for those who don't listen, you'll like our outro song and you could just hang on to every word we say. Uh, just before we go, I'm going to make a bold prediction before next week's episode that Pittsburgh is going to trade Phil Kessel. I hope it happens while he's eating the hot dog. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Peace. I'll be hanging on, hanging on to every word you say. I'm happy.